So before we, just before we open up God's Word, I want to commend a resource to you um, that has been really, really good. It was really timely. I mean, it's amazing how fast they got it out. But um, there's a book that, if you want this copy, I will give it to you. Um, I have two digital copies, and I'll send out a link for, it's also a free digital copy, but it's called Coronavirus and Christ by John Piper. And um, he goes through a variety of things that um, we may struggle with and we may wrestle with understanding of, in this season of, well, how, God, how is God involved with all this? Or how is he not involved? Um, this is an excellent resource. It's short. Um, so I want to recommend that to you guys. Um, I will even sanitize this copy if you want um, and wipe it down before I give it to you. Uh, but again, I, I really, really want to encourage you, encourage you with that resource. So this morning, let's open up God's Word. Would you grab your, grab your Bibles, please? And open up to the fifth chapter of the book of John. We're continuing in our series in, in the Gospel of John called Life in His Name. And um, we've by, been, by God's grace, been able to continue that even on video. So hopefully we'll be able to just keep on going. We're going to start in verse 17 today. And as we get going, I want to ask you a question. How do you know if something is a God in your life or is an idol or is something that has mastered you? You know what I mean? Is there something, how do you know if there's something that, something that is governing your decisions and the way you structure your life? Well, one way to answer this is pretty simple. Have it taken away and see how you respond. I mean, this season has been full of, well, I have to say this, this season has been actually full of blessings. And that should become as no surprise as the people of God, because God is a God who blesses. But this season, even though a lot has been taken away, there has been blessings but we do need to acknowledge that a lot has been taken away for many people. Some people, it's their job or their business. For some, it's school face-to-face -face with your friends and teachers. For others, it's your sport, or the one you play, or the one you like to watch. For some, it's their health. Whether that's the billions of ways we can already get sick or injured, or the billion, billionth plus one of the coronavirus. Some, it's sad to say, have lost a safe home because of stay-at-home guidelines. Abusive relationships have become that much more so, and there is not a place to go. So how do people respond when idols are taken away, when their ideas of God get, their ideas of gods get shook up? Well, some respond with anger. Some abuse. As I mentioned, either there's themselves or their spouses or their kids or others. I mean, you probably heard on the news, some, have, some resort to drug abuse. That's part of self-abuse, whether in a bottle, in a bag, or in a prescription container. Some respond by binging on the next thing. Some, some even kill themselves. And some people move toward murderous desires and even actions on that. 
But you know what else can tell us how what, what our gods are really are? Our little G gods? It's when the big G God himself shows up. But it's at that moment when God, the real God, shows up. That's the most important moment of our lives. Because at that moment, we are being given the opportunity to be rescued from things that ultimately can't save us, ultimately can't satisfy us. And that's what happened when Jesus showed up. And so today we must ask ourselves, when he takes away what can't save us, when he exposes those things for what they are and shows up to show us that he, he alone can save, will we believe that he is God? Will we believe that he is God for us? So hopefully you've gotten there, and if you would, would you please stand as we read and honor the word of God from John chapter 5. We'll be doing just two verses today, verses 17 and 18. John chapter 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. You can have a seat. Two verses this morning, but packed with the truth of God. How can Jesus deliver? What happens when big, what happens when big God shows up? As it must be recognized, it's simple. Three words. Jesus is God. If you get nothing else out of this message or from the rest of your life, get those three words. Jesus is God. So let's see how he is God this morning by looking at his activity and identity. So first up, God is active. But Jesus answered them, verse 17, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So our passage today kind of comes right in the middle of things and starts with the but, so we need to back up. Why did Jesus answer them? Well, as we looked last week, Jesus shows back up in Jerusalem after a time, actually a very fruitful time, away from the city. And he shows back up and he shows mercy to an undeserving lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And he tells that man, if you look up to verse 8 of chapter 5, he says, get up, take up your bed and walk. And where there should have been a great celebration for healing, a man's life restored after 38 years of lameness. We are told that this healing took place on the Sabbath. And the Jews, the Jewish authorities, see the healed man carrying his mat home and charge him with law-breaking, breaking the Sabbath. And he responds, the man who healed me told me to do this, but they don't know who, the, who it was who healed the man until, seemingly led more, unfortunately, by fear of the Jews than faith in Christ, the healed man 
is called to repent by Jesus in the temple, and then he goes and tells the Jews that it was Jesus who healed him. And instead of rejoicing that Jesus made a lame man well, they began to persecute Jesus because, as verse 16 says, he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And notice that the target has moved from the lame man, or the man now healed, to Jesus. So that's the part of backdrop of Jesus' response. They are persecuting him because he's doing stuff on the Sabbath. What kind of stuff is he doing? Is he selling mats? Is he putting together an MLM for the lame people of the town? No. We're given only one example thus far in the Gospel of John. But this and the rest of the Gospels tell us that Jesus, what was he doing? He was proclaiming the good news. And he was healing people. People who had been debilitated for a long time, by the way. And he was casting out demons. He was teaching him, his disciples about himself and life in God. He was setting people free, physically and spiritually. He was doing for people what only God would do for people. Give them real life, real hope. And so what does he say with this stuff that he's doing? He says, my father is working. Here, he means God. And the Jews know that he means God. We'll get to the fatherhood piece in a little bit. But here we need to understand that God has not been asleep at the wheel during human history. It's not like as, if, as soon as people sinned, he took off. In Genesis chapter 2, God finished the works of creation and the scripture says he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. That's where, our, I, that's where the, the doctrine and the, and the teaching of the Sabbath starts and comes from. So the question is, well, did he, ta- did he take a day off? How did he rest? And here, God is not a God of deism. And what I mean by that Deism, which was popular with the generation of this nation's founders and is believed by some people today, but there's still some ideas of it that can creep in. And the the idea is that God made everything and then stepped away. Deism says that God is creator, but he's not sustainer. He's out there and he does not participate in the world that he made. In other words, he set the plate spinning and he walked away. And thus deism says God doesn't answer our prayers. He doesn't engage with us. He doesn't tell us what to do or not to do, so we are left on our own. Well, was that the kind of God you would want to believe in? Well, no. And a good thing, it's not just up to how you would want to believe in. This is actually, that's actually not what the scripture tells, tells us about God. The whole reason, <laughs> actually, that we have a Bible is because our God is a God who is active, who wants to make himself known to us. We call this special revelation that God wants to open his mouth and speak to us. Because Genesis 2 
goes on after it says that God rested. It says on verse 3, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Did you hear that? God did things on the Sabbath, on his day of rest. He blessed and he made holy. And every moment from then, throughout the New Testament, through the New Testament, through the history of the church to the present day, that's what God has been doing. That's how he has been working in the world. He has been blessing and making holy. This is the, ag- <laughs> this is the agenda of God. And what do we find at the incarnation of the Son of God? With God in the flesh. What do we see? Verse 17 of John chapter 5, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus is blessing and sanctifying people. Sanctifying being a special word, making them holy on the Sabbath as a gift of the Sabbath rest. See, God aimed at the, from the very beginning to bless His creation on the Sabbath, to work for them, to renew them. And all that is focused, all that points to, all that is culminated and fulfilled in the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus, who shows up here. And the only difference at this point is that the Word is not some active Word out there who is only spirit. But here, as John 1 verse 14 says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And He's interacting with people face to face. Number two. He interacts with people face to face and God makes and interprets his laws. That's one of the ways he is active. Jesus, continuing in verse 17, I am working... And then a little comment here. This, is, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now let's check your Bible history here a little bit. Do you recall when, what Israel was sent into exile for? When Babylon came and laid siege to Jerusalem, destroying the temple and the city right around the year 587 B.C. Do you remember why they were sent into exile? Why, their, why God's temple was destroy, destroyed? Why their precious city was destroyed? The city of David? Well, there was a host of things. But two really stand out. And if you read, you'll, you'll pick it up. Two things. Breaking the Sabbaths and idolatry or blasphemy. Blasphemy which can be a verbal insult against God or even defiant actions. I think Ezekiel 20 verse 16 sums it up and Ezekiel writing this right at that turning point when Israel was being attacked by Babylon and then carried off into exile. God tells him to tell the people, because they rejected my rules and did not walk in my statutes and profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols. They didn't want God to work for them. 
They wanted to work for themselves. And what's interesting is that after the exile, God did bring them back, as he promised. There were some problems in these areas. You can look in the book of Nehemiah. History repeats itself. But the Jews, especially here in the first century, seemed to make extra sure that these were obeyed and not broken. And as I mentioned last week, the Jews took pains to define 39 different types of work that would break the Sabbath, just in case you needed that kind of clarification. Unfortunately, in doing so, they set up God's, they set up God's laws as God, twisted them to make them their own, so that they would not have to submit to God himself. They believed they could work for God instead of believing that God could work for them or would work for them. And so God comes to the earth and he reveals his true intent with the Sabbath, which the Old Testament testifies to. And his true intent of God's relationship with mankind, which the Old Testament also testifies to. So these Jews had all of that all of what God was going to intend to do, and they still acted this way. And what is it that they do with Jesus? They do not believe God. And this passage lays, and we've been getting there progressively, but this passage really sets the tone that it lays the groundwork for what they will formally accuse Jesus of later. They will charge him with breaking the laws, breaking the Sabbath, And much more, they will charge him with blasphemy. (laughs) But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus will continue, in implication of that, he will continue to bless and make holy on the Sabbath. He will break it in their eyes. He will continue to display that by working, he is God even stating, I and the Father are one in John chapter 8, and they will pick up stones to try to kill him on the spot, and eventually they will take him by mob from a garden and through all sorts of political and legal hoops, and they will hang him on a cross for calling himself the Son of God. Just a note, you should never believe a person, however influential they might be, who says that Jesus never claimed to be God and that the Jews just misunderstood Jesus. No, he stated it clearly. He never never contradicted anyone when they stated that obvious fact. And here it says the Jews understood it, Jewish Jewish authorities understood it clearly, and with hearts made of stone they rejected God in the flesh. And so... We may be sitting here today thinking, they're crazy. Why would someone reject Jesus when he has such good for them? Why would they reject someone who gives them real rest and salvation? Why would they reject someone who gives them real assurance that God is showing his love? Real blessing, real holiness, real life. Why indeed? Why would anyone reject this? But every one of us sitting in this room today, listening to this live stream, 
is facing or has faced the same thing. Jesus' standards are impossible for us to meet on our own. And he demands that we surrender to him and receive him as God. You see, of ourselves, we want to interpret God's laws for him so that we can match up to our own made standard. And we want to pretend that we've matched up to his by doing so. That, that is what sin is, trying to put ourselves in the place of God in our own or others' lives by justifying our actions and words with a standard that when God comes down, he mercifully shatters. And when he shatters them, when he takes away our little g-gods or idols and displays his standards, one of two things will happen. Either we, despise, either we will despise him and want him to die, so we just continue right along the same trajectory as these Jewish authorities did, or we by faith receive him, believe him for who he is, as John writes his whole gospel for the purpose of that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this Son of God is he who makes and interprets his own laws. So who will you believe? Yourself or him? You know, C.S. Lewis gave really, really wise counsel in his book, Mere Christianity, when he wrote, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish things that people often say about him. That's Jesus. Where they say, I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. Jesus, as God, makes and interprets his own laws. And that leads us to our third point. God is God. Jesus is God. My father is working until now, he said, and I am working. Jews were seeking to kill, all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. But do you know how beautiful this passage is for we who do believe him, who do trust him? This is a blessing of a statement that we who trust in Jesus get to receive as adopted children. Jesus calls, his, calls God his Father, something that, the nation, something that no individual Jew would ever say. It was always God the Father of Israel. Well, Jesus is Israel, true Israel, and all who trust in him are in, in that. 
And in that, we get to call God Father. We are no longer spiritual orphans, or even worse. As Jesus told the unbelieving people of his day, he told them, you are, the, you are of your father the devil. Because their nature reflected the devil's. Yikes. So how do you get away from having the devil as your father to having God Almighty, the one who blesses and makes holy as your father? Through his son. His son who reflects and reveals God the father's nature. Jesus. Verses 118, it says, He has made him the father known. And we in the church may have heard this so much that we have gradually forgotten perhaps what this means in Jesus saying this to his fellow Jews in the first century. When Jesus says, my father, he is saying at least two things to the the people there. One, I actually read it this morning in my daily reading, is that in 2 Samuel, God makes a promise to David who wants to build God a temple. And God says, you want to build me a house? And God says, I'm going to do you one way better. I'm going to build your house. And what he means is, and he goes on to say in that passage, he says, your son will be to me a son. And who is he talking about? He is talking about the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, who is of the line of David, who came as the ultimate David, as the ultimate king who represents the people of God to God the Father. So that's one thing. And then the second thing that he is saying when he says, my father, is that he is saying he really is the divine son of God who is equal with God, who reflects his nature perfectly. So small wonder they wanted to kill him because they thought... Because they thought he was just a man. They thought he was lying and blaspheming. But Jesus was not only claiming the general relationship of true Israel with God, he was claiming a unique relationship that no one else can have with God. He was claiming an eternally pre-existing relationship with God as God. And here's where we go off the rails a bit. God is God. Jesus is God. Therefore, Jesus and his Father are God. And here we go to one of the most defining doctrines of Christianity. The Trinity. Tri-unity. Keep your eyes and ears open. We can't totally know all that there is to know about the Trinity, Trinity, but Scripture does make it clear that there is an eternally existing relationship within God as one of three persons. You see, Jesus is not a created man who made himself a God as the Jehovah's Witnesses want to proclaim. Nor does the scripture ever teach that Jesus being equal to God, that he is another God, 
like the Mormons believe. Jesus is expressing that he is equal to God, meaning he is God, that he is one of the three divine persons in the Bible who are one God. God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit, who's not mentioned in this passage, but he's there, is God. And as God, as the Father works, well, no surprise, as God works, God works. As the Father works, so does the Son. And in Philippians 2, verse 6, it says that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That might initially seem to trip us up, but it means that Jesus is not seeking Godhood status that he already has. Why would, why would God need to grasp for God's status when he already has it? And what the Jews here understood him to mean was that all the blessing, all the sanctifying, all the sustaining, all the ruling, all the reigning, all the work that God Almighty had been doing since creation, sustaining their nation, was attributable to that man who was offending them at that moment. So it's in this reality that the Gospel writer John wants us, and the Holy Spirit working through John in writing this wants us to know that Jesus in being God, the Son of God, can be believed as God in what he's doing. I mean, we have example after example after example. When he made the water into wine, when he cleansed the temple, when he rescued the Samaritans, when he healed the dying official's son, when he healed the man who had been lame for 38 years. And then moving on, when he, when he feeds on the thousands on a few loaves of bread and fish, when he walks on water, when he heals a blind man, when he teaches the crowds, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, when he washes the, his disciples' feet, when he prays to his Father for you and for me. And he willingly goes to the cross and he rises on the third day and he ascends to the right hand of the majesty on high. He proclaims that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And we get the privilege to believe in Him, to trust Him. That's it. We don't have to work to Him. He works for us. And if we believe in Him, we shall have life in His name. Eternal life from the eternal Son of God who is active, who makes and interprets His laws and is equal with His Father as God. Jesus is God. So, because this God has come, the Word really has become flesh. And He has revealed the nature of God as fully God and fully man. When your idols are taken away, when your gods are smashed by Him, will you trust Him? Will you receive Him and have life in His name? Or for us who already believe. When those who reject Christ come after you, will you trust him? One commentator I read put it this way. Am I willing to be labeled as a blasphemer to the religious canons of my day when my hour comes? 
we must go into this with both eyes open. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you also. The children of the devil and Satan himself cannot kill Jesus again, so they will go after his bride, the church who trusts him. They killed the shepherd. And it was both a spectacular failure on their part to do away with God and the most glorious triumph the world has known where through the death and resurrection of the Son of God, people everywhere can be forgiven and have life in his name. And in the same way, they may seek the harm of sheep like you and me. But as the Father is working until now, so Jesus is working, they will be utterly put to shame. And we shall be utterly vindicated for trusting in him either now or in the next chapter of eternal life, in the new heavens and the new earth, which he has promised. All this, all this, hope now, whether dying or living, all this because Jesus is God and there is no other. Making himself equal with God. He is equal with God. He has always been equal with God because Jesus is God. Would you pray with me? Lord, what shall we say? I think of the first song we sang. Help us, Lord, to be still in that. We could not have conjured this up on our own, Lord. A God who becomes flesh and dwells among us to take our sin by dying and rising again and giving hope to all who would receive him. Lord, <laughs> Lord, what can we do? We, we, we can do nothing. And again, the other, the, next, the other song we sang, Lord, we can believe. You give us grace so that we can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Lord, may we have life in his name today. Please help us who already trust him to continue in the good faith that has been once for all entrusted to the saints. And God, please rescue those who do not yet believe, who do not yet know. Give them eternal life in your name. Thank you that we have such a God as you to depend on to place our faith, to place our hope, to bank our entire lives upon. For you are steadfast, you are firm, and you have displayed love like no one else can or ever will. We thank you and we pray all these things in your good son's name.
through which we can be sons and daughters of yours. Amen.